but where are you from? So, as you can see, the new jingle isn't by me. Um, I didn't record vocals on that. It was actually done by my ex-boyfriend, John, who is amazing. He's currently stuck on a ship in California. He's a musician on a cruise ship at the moment. And he listened to my podcast and then offered to create a jingle for me, which is amazing. So please go check him out. He is at John underscore Clapper and he does really cool kind of loops and music kind of stuff on his Instagram. And his bio is Clapper by name by nature. Um, so not all ex-boyfriends are dicks. Shout out to my ex, John. As you can see, he's got all the musical talents and not me. So he asked his friend to do the vocals on that. And then he produced it and mixed it and put it all together. So yeah, hope you like the new jingle. But where are you from? Oh my God, my voice is so bad. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, right, hi kids. How's it going? So I realised that when I start the podcast, I don't like saying hello, hiya, because when I do, it sounds really insincere, like I'm being sarcastic when I go, hello, like I'm trying to be happy, which I am, but it comes across really fake. So I usually start it off by just talking and then I feel way more comfortable. I don't know why. That's really weird, though, isn't it? Anyway, welcome to the third episode of But Where Are You From? We're a podcast by a 20-something millennial learning about life as a British-born Chinese. I'm Viv, the host of the podcast. And in this series, we talk about life as a British-born Chinese, a BBC, from family life to work, dating, relationships, food, racism, and general culture. Hopefully this is an upbeat, relatable podcast to those who are a British-born minority, specifically British-born Chinese, but we're inclusive, we're open to anyone and everyone. If you have any questions, please drop me a message. I'm at VivTheDiv. So thank you to everyone who's listened. So I checked our statistics and we've had over 100 listens so far, which is insane because I didn't think a single person would listen. And I know I keep saying that, but I looked at the stats and we've had some really interesting countries what, listening to our podcast. I was going to say watching, but hopefully no one's watching because I've not got this on video record. So I can see that we've had people listening in the UK, which is about 95%. We've had someone from Mexico, two listens from Mexico. Who the hell is listening in Mexico? That is so cool. Someone from Hong Kong, someone from Spain, hola, and someone from the United Arab Emirates. And then when you look at the cities as well, there's some places that I've never been heard of. Blackheath, I didn't realise that was basically southeast London. I thought it was somewhere down the road from me in Warrington. Bognor Regis, shout out to who's ever listened from Bognor Aegis. Uh, we've had someone from Su Sun Wan in Hong Kong. We've had someone from Chihuahua. Is that the name of the city? Yeah, it must be. So whoever's listening from Chihuahua, is that in Mexico? I'm guessing. So it's Catatomic Chihuahua. We've had one person. Oh, two people. 
Unless these are bots, who knows? Who knows how this works? Well, if you are listening from Mexico, please do message me at VivTheDiv because I'd love to know who you are and give you a shout out. Um, we've had someone from Roncon, Woking, Liverpool, Stockport, Stretford, Barnstaple, Stevenage, um, Barcelona, Catalonia. That's so cool. Someone from Sharjah? Shah, S-H-A-R-J-A-R, Sharjah. I should have probably Googled where all these places were before I started talking about them. And then Ramsbottom. I wonder who's listening Ramsbottom. Very interesting. So amazing. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened. I'm really happy to see that we've had just people who have been genuinely enjoying it because I'm enjoying making it. I'm sat in my room at the moment. I was sat in the study yesterday when I recorded the second episode, but it, because it, there's not a lot of stuff in that room, it was so echoey. So I've decided to sit back in my room. It's an absolute mess at the moment. I've got stuff all over the floor. It's really not a nice kind of feel to the room at the moment. So I'm going to do a big tidy. I plan to do a wardrobe tidy probably this week. I mean, don't know when I'm going to do that because I'm just so busy at the moment with this whole lockdown thing, you know. I'm joking. So yeah, I'm definitely going to do that at some point. Let's do our shout outs of the episode. So this episode shout out goes to Elsa Eats Food. She's a food blogger from Manchester and she messaged me actually saying that she listened to the podcast. So thank you for listening, Elsa. Make sure you give her a follow because I followed Elsa for a while. She posts a lot about food in Manchester specifically. But it's just, you know, it's nice to follow food accounts, isn't it? Regardless of where you live. I know I follow quite a few in London and New York, even though I don't live there. And then I'll move on to reading some of your messages that you sent in to us. So I had a message from a listener who said, Hello, I just found and listened to your podcast. Thank you for creating it. You're so welcome. I am another British-born Chinese who has been thinking the strong community doesn't exist here in the UK and also have been thinking about starting a podcast, but you actually did it, so thank you. I mean, regardless of whether I've started one, I definitely think that you should do it anyway. I mean, I only figured this out three days ago and all I have are my Apple headphones and my laptop and that's it. So if you really want to start it, then just do it. And I also think that the more people that we have representing British-born Chinese people in the community can only be a good thing. So it's not to say that this is the only place that British-born Chinese people can come to. Absolutely not. 100% do it. You have your own experiences. I have my own. I definitely think it's worth doing. I know that I listen to all sorts of podcasts from the same vertical. So I listen to a lot of dating and relationships advice podcasts I love that kind of stuff and it's not to say that I'm very loyal to any so I definitely think there's room for more than one so anyway she said even though I'm BBC and share a bunch of the experiences you spoke about in your first podcast I have always felt not Chinese enough even for BBC communities because my parents didn't have a takeaway and food isn't a big part of my identity Looking forward to more future episodes, love heart. That is so cute. Thank you so much. She makes a really interesting point because I think we we've all had similar upbringings. You know, there are there are similarities between British-born Chinese, but actually there's some very subtle differences. And things like your parents not being in the hospitality industry or the takeaway industry as a whole can completely change your upbringing. And it's very easy for me to assume that everyone who's listening has had 
the same upbringing as me. Unless you're my sisters, then you pretty much have. Apart from those two, anyone else who's listening, it's actually quite interesting how we've all had slight different variants of upbringings. If you feel like you have, then please message in. I'd love to hear what your upbringing has been like. And then we can share our experiences together. And then it's really interesting that you say food isn't a big part of your identity either. um, Because I know, obviously, that's something that a lot of Asians identify with. But actually, I know quite a few people like that. My my mum is the same. Only very recently, she's got into cooking a lot more and really thinking about what she's going to eat. But before that, before she started really taking an interest in food, she really ate to kind of sustain rather than enjoyment. And it was more so my sisters and our dad who really enjoyed food and we would think about what to eat, what to bake, and our social occasions would revolve around food. Whereas my mum, she obviously liked to socialise with her friends and go out for lunch, but she just wasn't really that bothered about food. But recently she's been on the YouTube videos. There's a massive like Hong Kong community of food vloggers who just basically film them cooking something and they upload it. And she watches this China woman and she lives in the countryside and it's amazing because she has like over a million subscribers and it's basically her cooking food and at the end of it her eating it and it's so satisfying watching her eat whatever she's cooked whether it's a bowl of noodles or char siu and she's really cute and mom loves watching her and she's got a lot of inspiration from her. I mean those two things growing up in a takeaway or being loving food isn't the only things that you can identify with as being Chinese, it's what you take from it. And it's not to say whichever way is right or wrong. You don't have to have, you know, a certification to say you are British born Chinese or you are Chinese because you grew up in a takeaway or because you love food. And your identity is very much your own, but it's still it's still right and it's still valid in your own way. So don't let anyone take that away from you. You're Chinese because you are Chinese, no matter what your upbringing was. Thank you so much for sharing and I really, really appreciate you listening and sending in the message. And then secondly, from an old school friend who I hadn't spoken to her in years, so thank you very much for messaging in. But we used to be really tight-knit. We used to have a group of friends all the way from when we joined in year one, when me and my sister, we moved schools from somewhere else and we grew up together. We went to high primary school together, high school together. Um, and then college is kind of where we all kind of went our separate ways, really, for whatever reason. Um, so I hadn't spoken to this particular friend in years and years and years and years. I haven't seen her in years. She's a mum now, which is crazy. And she's settled down with a partner. She lives on a farm. And it's amazing kind of seeing people live these separate lives but we had very similar upbringings I think her parents still live down the road from us so she messaged me and she listened to my second episode where I talked about the bully Zach who called me a chink and who I beat up with my rock ports and she said hey Viv I've been listening to your podcast when milking the cows in the morning which is just brilliant I can't even imagine her doing that I love them Uh, but I did have to laugh when you mentioned about Zach I remember that vaguely Obviously, it wasn't funny at the time after what he had said to you, but looking back now, I just wanted to say from a British person, I never saw you any different from any of our other friends. I was a bit sad to think that you felt different, and I hope we never made you feel like that. We had such a good time, really looking back. And then she mentioned about she remembers when we used to dance to Shania Twain, (laughs) jumping on a bed. (laughs) 
Um, who loves? Who doesn't love Shania Twain? So that was a really sweet message, and it was definitely never ever my friends who made me feel any differently at all. Because, like I said, myself and my sister we were very westernized, especially when we were at school. And if anything, my friends really embraced our Chinese culture. So when they'd come to the takeaway, and we'd, you know, when your friends would come round to your house, so instead of them coming round to the house, they'd come round to the takeaway, and we'd just play upstairs, and they'd get food from downstairs cooked fresh for them. And this particular friend, I remember, she loved seaweed. So when she found out that it wasn't actually seaweed and it was cabbage. It absolutely blew her mind, um, which is funny thinking back. So I think, if anything, they probably added and enriched to my life back then, definitely. Um, and they also, they, they loved all the food. I think that was kind of the main thing that we could communicate back then was through our food. So that was a really nice message to receive this morning. Before we get into it, I just want to share one more message. We had a message from my cousin's cousin, actually, and she said a really interesting point, and this is one that we're actually going to talk about today, and it's beauty standards. So she said, I think especially being a girl who is British-born Chinese, I struggled, and I still and still is somewhat, with the balance between Western versus Asian beauty standards. Growing up, I was told by external family that I was too dark, and had to use an umbrella to shield myself from the sun in case I got a tan. And everywhere you go, there'll be whitening products from all brands. While in the West, we have a surge in self-tanning, bronzers, sunbeds, etc. to make ourselves all look like a bronze goddess. So I used to yo-yo between these beauty standards a lot in order to fit in. Um, so this is really interesting, and thank you for sharing that with me, because that's what we're going to talk about today. So going into the topic of the day. Right, I've just had to readjust slightly. I'm now sat kind of not lying down on my bed. I'm just sat upright, but I kind of feel like I'm lying down. So if it sounds like I am, it probably because I will become vertical at some stage. And we are going to talk about beauty standards. So relating to Tiffany's message with regards to Asian standards versus Western standards, I wanted to open this up a bit and get your opinions in terms of how do you guys feel about the beauty standards that we hold within ourselves as British-born Chinese people. So we, we all know that Asians are shown, particularly within the media, as particularly women of having lighter skin and we're bombarded with messaging, particularly from relatives or if we go over to Hong Kong, with products that promote skin lightening, so whether that be creams, masks, face washes. I've had them all. My mum used to buy them for me and I didn't know what the hell they did, but they were meant to promote skin lightening in some way. I know this is probably a trend around all of Asia and I know that China takes a lot of trends from Korea. And so we have all these skin lightening products that we use, but actually, do we want to use them as British-born Chinese people when we have an, an array of messages in Western media telling us that we need to be more tanned? So we have sunbeds, magazines, bronzing products, all telling us how to get that glow. So it's quite interesting because growing up, my mum always told us to stay out the sun, multi-ha'a, multi-ha'a, which means don't be too dark, which I 
was always conflicted by this. I remember going through a phase in my teens where I was really hot on having my skin look whiter. And so I used an SPF foundation on my skin every single day, but I didn't put SPF on anywhere else in my body. So I had a really white face and then really tanned body in the summer. So it just looked really weird. But my opinion as I've gotten older is that I like having darker skin. I, I think I look healthier with it. Obviously being sensible, use your factor 50 everyone. But I think that we've been brainwashed to almost think that because we have darker skin, it somehow means that we're less beautiful. And I think going back to way back when, so when our parents, grandparents perhaps, were working in rice fields, for example, in the, in the paddy fields, see, having dark skin was seen as being poor because if you were out there working in fields, it meant, it meant that you were poor. Whereas if you were indoors and you, didn't, you weren't exposed to the sun as much, it meant that you had whiter skin and that promoted a sense of you being wealthy. And wealth is very important in Asian cultures too. So I think that has a part to play in it historically. Whereas now I do think a lot of the beauty brands, unfortunately, are capitalising on this sort of insight or this sort of want and benefit of having lighter skin. And I've seen some documentaries, I actually can't remember the name of them, especially in the Philippines and in Thailand where people are buying counterfeit bleaching products. So they're actually putting bleach on their skin in order to whiten it, which just sounds terrifying. I can't imagine doing that to your skin. But that's the reality of the situation. And we've seen movements from people who have stood up against this beauty standard and have said that they're still beautiful even though they have darker skin, which I think is great. Aside from skin lighting alone, I just think that, especially my relatives back in the day, not so much now, but some are so insanely honest with you that I just thought it was so cruel, especially when I was a teenager and I used to go back over to Hong Kong to visit relatives. And as soon as I remember, one of my uncles picked us up from the airport and the first thing he said was, oh, Leo, come to lap lap which means, oh, you've got loads of spots. And I was just like, not even a, not even a hug, hello or anything, not even a a quick, you're looking well, it was straight into, oh, I can see you've got spots in your face and I'm going to make an observation out of them. And I was like 14 at the time, so a very, very vulnerable teenager. And I was aware that I had spots in my face. Do you not think that I stare at my face every single day in the mirror, wondering how to get rid of those spots? So that was annoying, but I think that's one of those cultural differences that you get where British people would never ever think about saying that to their relatives. They might think it, but they wouldn't say it. Whereas people from Hong Kong or Chinese people would just be very straight talking and to the point. Um, I know that one of my mum's friends or someone that she used to know within Chinatown, he had this massive black mole on his nose. And so his nickname, and he knew what his nickname was too, was Hatbei, which literally translates into black nose and that was his nickname and he just took that as face value and didn't even think it was derogatory in any way. I'm sure he was probably upset by it. I mean I wouldn't like it if someone called me black nose as my nickname. 
And then you'll have people, say for example, if you're walking down the street and you were a bit chubbier, for example, someone could say to you, wait, fei moi, which means, hey, fat girl. <laughs> Imagine if we did that in the UK. So a, a white person says to another white person, hey, fat girl, come over here. You would just never get away with that, would you? You'd probably end up being live streamed or filmed, put on Twitter, it'll go viral and then there'll be kind of a lynch mob after you. When it comes to weight as well, I'd say I'm between a size 8 to 10, probably more size 10. Though in saying that, I don't really believe in looking at your size because that differs depending on each retailer. But I generally veer towards a size 10. That's pretty average, right? That is pretty normal in terms of English beauty standards. But then when I go over to Hong Kong and I see these super skinny Hong Kong girls who are probably size four to six, eight at most, they've got the skinniest arms, the skinniest legs, but yet they eat like nothing else. It does make me jealous because I think, why don't I have those jeans? Why can't I just eat rice and KFC and McDonald's double sausage and egg muffin every week without putting on weight? But they can, it's really weird. And is that genetics or is that just down to culture? Or who knows, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. But in terms of my perception, in terms of Asian versus Western beauty standards, it's amazing how we are so much more accepting of fuller figures in the UK than we are in Asian cultures. Because I think over there, they'd see me as being a little bit chubby, which is mental because I don't, like, you know, obviously I've got a bit of a belly thing going on and I'm very average in terms of my height and my weight and everything. So it's very, very interesting how it's so different. And I, I don't know how I feel about that in terms of, say, if I was to move to Hong Kong, would I then adhere to those types of beauty standards or would I maintain my own? I'd like to think I'd maintain my own, but also I don't think I'd move to Hong Kong purely because I can't deal with the heat. Um, and secondly, well, actually, you know what? Never say never. Never say never. I love Hong Kong. I love the food. I'd put on a lot of weight if I lived in Hong Kong because it's so cheap to eat out. I'd be eating out most nights and the food there is just so good. Oh my God, I'm salivating thinking about it. Anyway, I'm digressing a lot. I'm not. We're not here to talk about food. We'll save that for another podcast where perhaps I'll do a mukbang, but that'll be really disgusting listening to me eating. So perhaps we won't but we'll talk about food, definitely. And I also remember when I was blooming, so I was I was heading into my pubescent stage and my mum made this papaya soup for me and she said she made it because apparently eating papayas help make your boobs grow. Well, joke's on her because at the age of 29, my boobs are still flat as pancakes, but... That's really interesting in itself. I never really dissected why she did this because, and, and I love my mum. My mum is amazing. She is so great. But I wonder why she felt the need to feed me papaya soup to make my breasts bigger. I'm all right with the size of my boobs. They're, you know, they're not big, but they're just there. You know, I've never really thought anything of it. But 
back then I do remember thinking I've got a bit of a complex I want bigger boobs I used to see a lot of my English friends with massive boobs at the age of like I don't know 11 <laughs> and then I, I remember naively thinking that oh one day I'll grow them but life doesn't happen that way we have different genetics and do you know what if I was that bothered I'd just get a boob job but thankfully I'm not um, but it's very interesting how I just wonder whether other people had their family try to impose beauty standards onto you without even realising that they're doing so because I know that my mum would have done that with the very best intentions but actually looking back it could have been potentially quite damaging if I was bothered. Luckily I'm not. And then I also remember actually when I was much younger my nose is quite flat at the top. It doesn't have much of a bridge. And I remember my auntie, who was a Malaysian Chinese woman, and she used to look after us from time to time when my mum and dad were working at the takeaway. And she used to tell me to pinch my nose to make it taller and therefore more westernised. So I used to do it. I remember doing it in the car, like on the way to school or whatever. But it would have looked so weird if I did pinch it in that way because that's not natural <laughs> and it's so it's so bad and yeah I've never actually talked about that so that's really interesting for me processing that myself because I did have a complex probably if I think about it with my nose for a long time now I'm not bothered but back then I used to think oh I wish I had a better bridge on my nose and I think Chinese people do say like if you have a stronger bridge it means something like if you have a big forehead it means what does it mean you're gonna be really rich or something I actually can't remember long earlobes means that you're gonna have a long life so I think a tall nose means something too so if you know please dm me and let me know what your thoughts are on that and then obviously being Chinese this is quite a kind of more of a genetic trait so we have quite high cheekbones and I would love to do one of those ancestry DNA test kits because I think that I might be part Mongolian because my cheekbones are really high like a Mongolian um, but because of that I've got a really wide face I've always had big cheeks and it still is to this day if I'm being honest one of my complexes is just having a wide face. It's the first thing I look at in photos when it comes to my insecurities is, do I have a wide face? So a wide face is one of those things that I always felt like I wanted to try and solve somehow. I don't know how, uh, probably lose weight. But even then, that's part of my face. Like if you look back on photos when I was younger, it's always been that shape. And I don't think that's gonna change. I've heard of this technique called meowing. I don't know whether anyone else has heard of it. And I don't know how I came across it. I think it was on YouTube. But it's it's not when you meow like a cat. But it's when you move your tongue to the roof of your mouth, I think. And then eventually it'll change the shape of your jawline and get rid of double chins, apparently. And I've seen before and after photos and I really don't know how it works. But check it out online because there's a big community of people who are meowing together. Really strange. I know. I'm just going to have to put up my double chin, aren't I? Because most of the time I just can't be asked. And then when it comes to things like makeup tutorials, I always followed for a long time Western makeup tutorials 
like whether that's in magazines or from videos and they just never looked right because they were doing the makeup on western eyes and so of course it was never going to look right and so I was really happy when I saw YouTubers like Bubs Beauty and Jen from Head to Toe creating makeup looks that worked for Asian eyes. I felt like that was probably so underrated in terms of our beauty standards and the fact that we had these Asian people that we could rely on to provide us with makeup tips that actually worked for our faces because they are quite different. And I remember my sister when she got married, she specifically looked for a makeup artist who could work with Asian faces. I remember looking for her makeup artist. We did a trial in Liverpool with this makeup artist and she was lovely but she'd never worked on an Asian face before and my sister came out looking like a drag queen. <laughs> and just the makeup itself would have looked lovely on someone who wasn't Asian but because she packed on so much eyeshadow onto her eyes and she's got monolids where you basically can't see her eyelids. It just looked terrible. <laughs> it looked so terrible. And then we had to go out for lunch afterwards so I'm sure she was mortified walking around Liverpool looking like a drag queen. <laughs> That's it for today. I think I've babbled on long enough. What beauty standards did you feel like you were faced with? Do you have any stories that are similar to mine that you wanted to share? If you do, please get in touch. And as always, thank you for listening. Please send me a message on Instagram at VivTheDiv. And if you have any more topics that you want me to discuss, I write them all down. So please do get in touch and share. But I'll say goodbye for now and see you on the next episode. Goodbye.